What were some of the things that Coach K was talking to you about in the huddles to keep you believing? He said he don't coach losers. He want to coach winners. He said go out there, play hard. He can coach us to a win. This is Five Point Play, Die Hard Chiefs Basketball Fans Podcast. What a game, AC. Oh my God, man. That was, that was, that's, that one's hard to, it, it, that one's hard to place. That one, that one's difficult to place for me. Like, not in terms of, you know, it's just, I don't understand what I saw. <laughs> I really don't understand what I watched. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, throughout your career as being a fan, there are certain games, certain times, Mm-hmm. where you're always going to be remembering where you were sitting um, during that particular game or that particular moment, you know, the late in shot, the miracle yep. minute. This is one of those times, the, mm-hmm. the, the Austin River shot, the uh, Gordon Hayward miss from half yep. court. This moment in time wasn't just a one-minute scenario, wasn't just one shot. This was a nine-minute and 13-second complete collapse from one team and just another team just flipping the switch to put it mildly and taking over yeah yeah no it it was the tale of two collapses quite honestly like duke collapsed for 30 minutes but louisville's not as good as duke and louisville couldn't they couldn't do what a great team would be able to do in that scenario like if, if that was duke who was up 20 i have no doubts that they'd win the game by 40 but the fact that louisville couldn't get it beyond that 20 point mark it, it kind of gave a little bit of hope. It reminded me a lot of, of the NC State comeback from the Austin Rivers team. We brought Austin with UNC. The the Austin Rivers, the 20-point comeback against NC State was very similar in the, in the instance of NC State couldn't stretch their lead out anymore once they got it to, to the peak. Once they were at their peak you know, proficiency, they couldn't go any farther. And and Duke was just you, you could feel it. They were just kind of biding their time. That was but that was a home game. The crazy stayed in it. That helped that team out. This team was on the road. And it kind of speaks to this team's fortitude to be able to do something like that on somebody else's court. And quite honestly, the only other team that I can think of in, in the past, you know, twenty some odd years of, of watching Duke basketball or more is, is that, you know, that that two thousand one team that went into Maryland and, and the miracle pulled off the miracle minute. That was that was right along the lines with that with that particular game. I you know I haven't seen a Duke comeback in in years that has kind of brought back that same feeling. But that one it just seemed like it it was a statement. It was just like Miracle Minute. It was they're you know they're facing so much criticism in so many different areas about certain things, and uh, you could just feel the critics just you could feel them salivating about about this loss coming and. And all they and they just stole it from everyone. They stole it from Louisville. They stole it from from the critics on ESPN and Fox Sports and on the radio and on the podcasts and on Twitter. They just they stole it from everybody. This team is tough, man. They're so good. Yeah. So during the game, we were watching and Reese Davis and Jimmy Dunn are calling it how they see it, and it was very fair. Mm-hmm. With about you know ten eleven minutes to go in in the second half, we're getting our ass totally kicked all up Absolutely. and down the court. And and Reese and Jimmy are talking about how, you know, this is, you know, Duke's opportunity to get some humble pie and, and sometimes that works out in, in the favor of the team that's losing. And sometimes those lessons best learned are when you're getting punched in the face and then after that, how do you uh deal with that adversity? And they were they were absolutely correct about it. We just oh, yeah. had no idea that we were gonna deal with that adversity no. and show us show the world who we were in the next basically 10 minutes at 9.58, at 9.13. And so kind of where we want to go with this podcast, normally we would start with the big game that we thought was going to be the lead of this podcast, the UVA <laughs> game. Now we're going to start right here with yeah. the last nine minutes and 13 seconds and just kind of go through what we were thinking during this point. And, and before we get to the 9.13, mm-hmm. talk to me about where your head was at before we even started this this miracle run. So. Right, like right before that nine nine thirteen mark, because even even at twenty three, you don't you know you still the feelings are still kind of eh, but it was it was one of those things where you just you're listening to, you're listening to the telecast and you're watching the team play. I was 
I did something I usually don't do during games because not 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 even to say that I was checked out. I guess I could be called out as a as a checkout fan in this regard, but I wasn't really checking out. I was just you know I wanted to see what people were saying. And you're looking at Twitter and you're you're seeing up oh, this is what we thought Duke was, which you know I wasn't buying into it. But then I was seeing some things from some Duke some Duke writers and things where they're saying. You know, the the 2014-15 team lost a couple games by 20, lost a couple bad games here, there, had a bad stretch, all that. And then, yeah, I just kind of remembered those things, and I was like, yeah, that's true. Then I'm thinking to myself, well, yeah, but then, the, the you know, the, the 2001 team never really went down by 20 like that. They went down, but they would always come back. And and then I was thinking the same thing, like, Duke always goes on a run. Like, where's our run? Why has that not happened? Like, we just cannot do anything right. At some point, we have to do something right. Just, just get us back in within fifteen. Like that's what I'm thinking at that point. I'm like, get us back within fifteen. Yeah, to me, I wasn't thinking that. I thought a little bit of the fourteen fifteen team, where I just personally, I just felt like this was, you know, this was a long time to to have a stamper of a game. And if you're gonna do it, you know, I started thinking about, you know, okay, well, you know, I I, I did predict us to lose four times in conference, mm-hmm. uh, four times overall in the season, so. I, I, you know, I got to stick with what, you know, I actually predicted and mm-hmm. look, you know, this team has been great. They had a phenomenal win on the road against UVA. And this is, you know, uh, the first letdown that they've really showed all season long. You're not happy about it, but you, right. I understood where we were. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be totally fair, I'm on a text with a couple of Duke guys and one of them, you know, said, uh, I'm going to bed. Uh, Call me if a miracle begins, and that's where we're <laughs> going to begin. That's where we're going right. to begin, and I'll let you know what what happened at the end uh, during that text chain. But mm-hmm. let's start with nine thirteen. So nine okay. minutes and thirteen seconds to go. I bring this up first. You know, uh, Duke Blue Planet had uh, a, a big stat where we were down twenty three with nine fifty eight to go, but we were actually still down twenty three mm-hmm. with nine thirteen to go, and that's actually when RJ Barrett got called for a foul. It could have actually been based on where they were standing, either Zion or RJ, they got called for the foul. Right. Obviously, if, if Zion gets called for the foul, he goes out of the game, and he's done for the night, and so is Duke. Mm-hmm. RJ gets that foul. They miss the foul shot. We come down, number two, 9-0-3. We're down mm-hmm. 23. Cam Reddish takes a three. So now we're down 20. Right. The third spot, we'll, we'll talk about our feelings after this one. Okay. You know, let's, let's be honest here. I think we both were on the same page. Jordan Govar is in the game. He gets a great steal and then has a breakaway layup and just point blank misses it. Yep. What? I'll tell you my feelings. I just said, you know, that perfectly encapsulates the entire night for, for Duke. Yeah. You know, you hit a three. RNJ's on the bench. You might be able to get a, a break here before the, the under eight timeout. Uh, getting down 18 with, with a simple layup and, and Jordan Govar, our ninth, tenth guy on the bench. Mm-hmm. comes up and completely blows it. It's just that kind of night. And right. I just said, whatever, it is what it is. God, Jordan. I, I was I was sitting there. The, the first thing I said was, well, that's why he doesn't get many minutes. That's the first thing I came <laughs> out with. Yeah, I apologize, Jordan Goldwire. I really do. I'm sorry. Um, I'm really sorry. You'll, you will go down and, and do galore for this one. But, I mean, it it was, though. Like, it was a, like you said, it was a microcosm of just how this game had been all day long. And Quite frankly, it was, I think, maybe I was tired. Maybe it was one of those things or something. Maybe I was just a little loopy. But when that happened, I was like, I'm, I'm just looking at this, and I'm, I'm just saying this this is our lowest point right here. We're at our lowest point. And then thinking that, it, it made me realize Louisville was up 20, and they were up 20 for a while, and they could never stretch it out, even with plays like that, even with little, you know, dumb things like that. Quite honestly, the the thing that really – I, that pissed me off more than his layup was was Alex O'Connell's loose ball, and he just stands up while three guys are on the floor, and he he stands up trying to reach bends at the waist to bend down and pick the ball up. That was to me that was like that that's what summed it up for me was like man, this is the effort that we're getting tonight. He's a guy who didn't even play during the UVA game, and and he's he's bending at the waist to pick a ball up. He's not even tired. Like like if that's if that's what's happening, then man, that's that's our game in a nutshell. But. Louisville can never stretch it out and I'm thinking this and I'm like well you know this this Duke team is a great team it's clearly a great team before this game and you know if they're if they're doing this to a team they're stretching the game out to to the 40 point mark and and they're scoring they're on pace to score 100 so I'm like uh, well maybe there's some there's there's enough hope 
to there's enough time on the clock to allow for some hope is kind of my thought there's you know maybe maybe we hit a couple shots maybe we do a couple nice things you know maybe maybe we get it back into single digits and it's a little bit more of a respectable loss and people can say hey duke fought back they have a little bit of grit that's kind of where my head was at that point i, I still yeah. wasn't thinking when you know what i mean i wasn't thinking when yet yeah, I, I certainly wasn't thinking when, and not for a little bit of time. But you did make a, a good point about Alex O'Connell and, and and really his lack of effort there. But after the game, Coach K talked about why a gold wire was in the game. He looked down mm-hmm. the bench and he looked at the faces and he said, yep. "Jordan Goldwire was the only guy on the edge of the bench engaged in the game." Mm-hmm. And he said, "You know what? Fuck it. We're down 23. I'm going to put someone in that at least I know is engaged, and yep. we can touch about uh, you know that sort of thing." at the end of this, but mm-hmm. that's why Jordan was in the game to begin with. Absolutely. So let's get to the next couple, little bit, uh, uh, next next sequence here, which is, mm-hmm. with 7.40 to go, Zion gets an offensive rebound and the foul. Yep. So we're going to a TV timeout. He's going to come back for a couple of free throws. He makes one. With 6.40 to go, Louisville makes it a 19-point game because they hit, they hit a three. Yep. So, you know, they make a big play at Louisville, the crowd is sensing that things are getting a little out of sorts here. They're mm-hmm. having trouble breaking the press. They hit a really big three. So yep. now I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, if they're going to do that, then more power to them. But you can tell that they're nervous, so they have to make shots. Then I'm thinking, okay, we we have an opportunity here. So with 6.22 to go, we go from that point on, we, we go on a 28-7 to run to close mm-hmm. the game. And that's yep. with the Zion N1. Yep. Then, and we'll, we'll cut to where we are after this, the next play is we cut it to 62-48. With 6.02 to go, mm-hmm. we will call the timeout. And this is where the now infamous screenshot of Joey Baker coming out onto the floor saying, we're doing this, we're winning this. Yeah. I started laughing when I was, I mean, everybody in, in the country could read his lips at that point. I'm laughing, I'm laughing. I, well, you know what, man, I appreciate your enthusiasm. A couple of my buddies have already gone to bed. At least you're still engaged. I like it. <laughs> let's just, let's just see. I literally go, let's just see what happens. Where mm-hmm. were you, what were you thinking? I, I was with Joey. I was with Joey and I, I didn't know if it would come. To, I didn't think it would even come down to a last second shot. I thought that was, that was closer than I thought we, we actually get. I thought we'd, be able to to stretch out a little bit more, but Cam took a couple bad shots down the stretch. You know, we just a couple things happened where we weren't able. We were excited, we weren't able to get great shots. But the what was striking so striking to me was that Mac was running out of timeouts, yeah. and you can tell a team that a team that was pressing. Like I, I thought the zone wasn't a bad idea because you need stops, and you have a thirty second clock. You have you know seven minutes ish left in the game. We went to that zone, and you need stops. So a zone is a good way to get stops, especially if you can't stop anybody man to man. So we had some time. We needed stops. They were getting them, and 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 Louisville was just. It was almost like they were throwing the game, man. They just they they lost their damn minds, and you could see it. Like they had nothing left. The fans were checked out. Uh, well, Andre Dawkins the, had the, great. The, 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 the fans were the fans were shook. Yeah, the fans yeah. were shook, and so were so was Louisville. They couldn't. They nobody wanted the ball there, and nope. even Jimmy Dykes in that uh, moment said. Someone from Louisville has to want the ball here. And they put, it was like hot potato. They were passing it back and forth. And on the complete opposite spectrum, they're talking about during this timeout, Coach K talked to them before the game about having that winning face. He talked mm-hmm. about uh, his radio show with uh, Roger Federer earlier right. in the week, talking about you know his, his face, his, you know, what he's showing outwardly while he's in these big, you know, major tournaments, and that's what mm-hmm. he was taught at West Point, that even when things are at their most hectic, you can't let that show to your right. guys, even if you're feeling it. And even if you're feeling like, well, we actually have no chance, but I can't, I can't show that to my guys. I have to lead them. And mm-hmm. that's what he was doing in this particular case. And Jimmy Dykes even said it, you know, that he's got a great poker face right now. You can't yeah. tell whether he believes or can't believe he's going to win this thing. And, you know, that's kind of where we go to the next segment here, which mm-hmm. is with 5.50 to go, Trey Jones gets an absolutely perfect steal right right in the middle of the court. Gets yep. absolutely hammered. Yeah. No call. We could have easily quit on that. Trey could have been out for a while based on, you know, the replay of that. 
Right. But Zion doesn't quit. They, they have the ball near the top of the key, and looking back to see what's going on, there's no whistle going on here. So Zion yep. just takes it from them, comes down. We get, you know, uh, we get the ball right back and, and, and score. Yeah. Then yeah. after that, <laughs> and then after that, so now we're down 12 with 440 to go. Then, and I'm like flipping over my paper, I have so many different things down. <laughs> 413 to go, Zion hits an N1, now we're down 7. Yep. What is starting to become famous now is when Zion makes a huge play. He does that big, huge, over-the-top, tomahawk, tiger woods, fist pump, yeah, and, yeah. you know, flexing his muscles. And when the, when the opposition sees that, they they know they're defeated at this point. Absolutely. So now we're down seven. We did a great job at the foul line. Zion was eight for nine on the night and made a ton of crucial ones down the stretch. Then Cam fouled on a three. Mm-hmm. So now he comes down. We cut the lead uh, again. And then actually after that was Louisville's last timeout. But by that yeah, point, yeah. you know, we, we knew we had him. Yeah. Yeah, we was that – that that point was it was that was it at that point. The, the only thing that would have derailed us was if Zion fouled out because the one thing he did during that entire stretch when he was able to be on the floor was he's even with four fouls he still played incredibly hard. I mean he was he was he was the hardest player working player out there regardless, and that that was enough to I think to, that was enough to give me hope as a fan for sure. And I'm sure playing the game that was enough to give the other guys at least a little bit of hope because what that does is that gives them. If they didn't hustle after a, a loose ball or something, and he did, that that kind of sends them a message, but it also gives them a chance to collect their breath for a second and say, you know what, okay, I can I can dig deep a little bit, I can find it. The adrenaline starts pumping a little more, seeing him out there celebrating and 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 getting his teammates, you know, pumping them up and everything. And at at that point, it was it was definitely game over. The only thing I was worried about was was Zion fouling out. That was like we can't we cannot afford a Zion foul. That that might be enough to do it. But again, it was just it was one of those things where Louisville was just totally shook. And and Andre Dawkins had a great quote on Twitter. He said, and that's the difference with Cameron, because when we were down to NC State by 20, the fans never gave up. Wow. And and he put that on Twitter. And I was I was I was as I was reading through it, I was like, man, I was like, that's that is the difference. That's that's exactly the difference. You know, they can they can black out the Yum Center and stuff all they want, but. Cameron is always Cameron and, and they always have their guys back and that's enough to, to feed your guys a little bit. And, and man. Wow. What a great line. But one of my favorite mm-hmm. players of all time. So that's pretty yeah. cool. And, you know, just to realize how important that six man is during that NC state game that you referenced earlier and that Andre mm-hmm. Dawkins did, I remember the post game press conference for Kay saying that, you know, he felt like Cameron was there, you know, he, that Cameron and the team were one that night. Yep. Yep. And that 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 gave me chills. He still does. Oh yeah. Because he he understands how important that is. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's about what three forty to go in this game. Uh, they had just called their last timeout. Yeah. We go on a fourteen to three run over the last four or five of this game. And I think you know one of the coolest plays, and you know we were texting about it uh, even this morning again mm-hmm. was. The RJ in transition, having the stones to go behind <laughs> or between his legs to yep. Cam, who shot it from about four feet behind the line, just absolute dagger city. Uh, you actually brought up the fact that you thought it was a great play because it allowed him to even, you know, screen the defenders. Yeah, yeah, he screened. He essentially screened two guys on that. He screened his own man and Cam's man basically because he's he's running into them as he's making that pass. You know, if he if he takes that ball and turns it around and turns around and hands it off to Cam, number one, it's not a great necessarily a great delivery. Number two, it gives the defense a chance to kind of jump onto the shot. It, there's there's just so many things about that play. The, just the like you said, the stones, the the balls for him to to go between the legs like that was just. I mean, the, the the swagger was swag on a thousand. <laughs> what they always say in the song, the swagger was one thousand. It was it was incredible to just. I mean, his and he knew that shot was going in too. RJ knew the shot was going in. He did what the Warriors do once he made the pass. He's he's circling around, and running back down the court because he knows it's going. He knows it's going in. Like that was just. <laughs> I can't. There's. I don't think there's. I, I don't have words really to to put into perspective that play in particular. That was. And RJ was he was he was so phenomenal down the stretch between 
a couple of the 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 fast break layups he got the the euro step was, that was so beautiful and yeah, and then that and, moment was and, incredible and, and yeah and and just the wherewithal and the confidence you're showing in him to mm-hmm. be able to pull that off saying hey look man i'm i'm the a guy i'm gonna do one behind or between the legs pass to you so that you can let this thing fly i i just love the cohesiveness of this yeah. entire oh absolutely absolutely um, absolutely it's, it's just awesome to watch i mean i don't know what you were doing you have a, a little daughter but i can tell you that i woke up my entire hall in, in my apartment <laughs> it was well I'm... i i was going absolutely nuts at this point because i knew i i, I felt the exact same way as i did during that miracle minute because i knew mm-hmm. even if we went to overtime we're, we're winning this game and yeah. they were just just to hear perfectly fine the announcer because the crowd is so out of this thing yep that's almost a better feeling than hearing the cram camera crazy go nuts it, it almost is and you know it's ironic because before we finish this one out um it is ironic because that was the sound of an actual funeral and yeah. they tried to they tried to pull a fast one by doing the blackout and uh-huh. you know using rj's comments but the the, the funeral is still there they yep. all dress back to their own funeral because yep. the is done going forward. I th- I think so, man. I, I like I, I hope not. You know, just because I, it's been fun watching this team grow. They they started the season not so well, and you were in Louisville's kind of in the in the afterthought. That I think one of their lower points in the non-conference was losing to Indiana because that's you see where that team is going. But they fought back in the ACC. They posted a great record in the ACC. They probably still have enough of a resume, even if they, I, I don't think they'll lose out, but even, even if they lose, even if they win only two of their next, you know, seven games or whatever, I, I think they've done enough to get into the tournament at least. But I mean, when you make your brackets out, go ahead and pick against Louisville, because I think when they, when they reach another pressure situation, maybe, maybe they'll show me different. That is, it, it's a tough minded group of kids, but I don't know, man. I don't know. Chris Max comments after the game when he's, kind of shaking his head saying you know well this is a game we can we can learn from that's coach speak for i don't know what the hell to do with my team right now that and and yeah. and and quite honestly how could he like right after the game and then have to go into that press conference is so difficult and and he's a great coach and i, I think he'll find a way to 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 kind of put a band-aid on this season but this is not they don't have the same trajectory their trajectory at this point had been possible sweet 16 maybe even with the right matchup spoiler into the elite eight at this point, they're they're an upset bid in the in the round of thirty two, in my opinion, at least maybe even the round of sixty four. Yeah, I can't argue that, and, and I do I do feel bad for him because Chris has done a great job there. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we do anything, I think the cherry on top of the entire evening was that Kentucky loses on a controversial <laughs> call, and yep. Duke wins uh, at the end with two cam free throws mm-hmm. on a quote-unquote controversial call, but it wasn't really. Both right. were within the rules as they are written. But that, mm-hmm. to me, was just a cherry on top of the entire evening. Absolutely. And it's great because next year the rule change and goal tens will be able to be reviewed well, at the end of the games absolutely. and everything, and it'll be perfect. And, <laughs> and and they'll find some other way to screw Coach Cal, like, as, as he said. So. That, that it was it was beautiful it was beautiful yeah i, I actually really enjoyed uh hearing that soundbite from uh that sleeve bed okay mm-hmm. so who would have thought that we would have opened up this podcast and gone on probably our longest segment of the year for one segment <laughs> about the louisville game after what we watched on saturday against the number three team in the country at uva and that's where we'll, we'll go next next play mm-hmm. that was an unbelievable win this yeah. is where we should have started off the podcast, talking about this team going on the road in a top three matchup against a team that we beat at home. Now we have Trey Jones back. They have their full cast of characters. Uh, mm-hmm. The place is bumping. They have game day there. We had game day at Duke when they came to town. You know, what were your expectations? I think we both talked about it on the previous podcast that we expected this Duke team to win. I did. And sure. But but nobody's gonna expect us to shoot the way we did coming in to Paul Jones. No, that was I thought that was a gutsy a gutsy call by Kay to to make that a part of the game plan because it was absolutely a part of the game plan. They were shooting shooting early in the clock, and we'll touch on that. We're actually gonna touch on that a little bit later in the podcast uh, in this segment um, about the the shooting early in the clock. But 
it, it was clear that that was that was a part of the game plan and it's so funny how maybe he was giving us you know a, a teaser maybe it was kind of like a teaser trailer type of thing where in his press conference earlier in the week where he talked about the, the somebody asked him about the shooting woes and he said that he thinks it's because they play such great defense that when they're shooting shots late in games their legs are tired and i i saw that and i was i wasn't really buying it but it's it's just really funny how you know he go he says that and then next game right after the first first five threes we hit you know went straight five for five from three you know huge huge shots by rj a nice bank shot in by cam um but it it was it was such a, a cool way to start that game and a really a perfect way to start the game against uva because you know they're they're going to be gunning from three as well and you know at a team like that with the pace that they play you have to try to get some kind of an early lead on them and we know we have the defense to be able to sustain and you just kind of felt at any moment we could start going back to the game plan we had before we get downhill. That never really happened. It was just kind of like we got that early lead and then sort of just maintained it and then added to it here and there after we got a few stops. It was nice. It was such a such a like a dominant win, really. I mean, they never they never had the lead. Approached it within four points at the half, but that was about it. And that was on a couple of miracle shots by Kyle Guy, and that was that was kind of the game right there, man. Yeah, I thought the UVA actually did a great job at the end of the first half, closing mm-hmm. the first half when they went on, we was on 11 to two run just to cut it to four. And, you know, they're at home. They, the crowd was on them for, for the majority of the first half. And it was all within reason here of them, you know, kind of, you know, making Zion their key target to take him out of the game. Yep. So I thought that they did a really nice job of that, but, you know, we have other weapons, and, and RJ proved that if you're going to take away someone else in place of me, then I'm going to make you pay. And he went in with that, quote-unquote, that Mamba mentality yeah. and just let him fly, and that was cool to see. But I thought that the key to the game, and it's, it's probably a cliche to say, but I thought, you know, with the way that the first half ended and UVA's making a nice little run, that, you know, first of all, if we have a four-point lead, on the road against the top three teams, especially UVA, who everybody's still picking to win this thing, mm-hmm. uh, both nationally and in this particular game where they were a two-point favorite. I'm thinking, okay, that's a, that's a good place to, say, uh, to be sitting after the first half. But oh, yeah. The first couple minutes of the second half were really where let's put the pedal to the metal and really show this team that we're not messing around. We're better than you, and we can yep. do it at our place, and we can do it at your place. What did you see from Duke in the start of the second half? It, it was their defense. Their defense, uh, again, in order to stretch a lead out, you got to play D. And, and in order to maintain leads, you have to play defense. And RJ did a phenomenal job on Hunter. He, did, he didn't let Hunter get off. Hunter got a couple mid-range shots, you know, a couple shots here and there towards the end of the game. But he, and he was efficient. He's always efficient. But he, he didn't get near the looks that he probably deserved and needed to get. And once again, this Duke team did something to UVA that nobody else can do because then you look at the following game against UNC – and Ty Jerome gets 11 assists, Duke kept them from being a share-of-the-ball team. And and that was, again, that's the story of the two games so far with Duke is against UVA is that UVA has not been allowed to share the ball the way they the way they like to play. And Duke, Duke is the one team that can force them out of their comfort zone, and it's obvious because the two losses they have are to Duke. Like, it's obvious that Duke is that one team. They have the athletes. They have, they have the style of defense and everything else to be able to do that. And it it was just you know regardless of who was hitting shots i mean zion couldn't second half he couldn't get going cuz they they really made him such a focus but cam and rj really really stuck together trey had a nice offensive game maybe maybe his best offensive game of the year and i mean that, that was enough that was that was enough to get it done yeah and i i think we talked about this on the uh podcast before or two before where there was a play during the Wisconsin game in 2014 that we had an inbounds play where mm-hmm. Justice Winslow gets it right back and flies through the lane yep. to flush it home, and that was kind of the, the seal of the deal for that, that game on the road. I felt the same way where late in the second half, Cam has the ball, has a chance to take an open three, but it wouldn't have been a good shot with the shot clock where it was. He makes the right decision, drives baseline on the left side, has a beautiful left-handed pass right to Zion, who absolutely flushes at home, game over. It reminded me of the same thing. And, you know, you hate to compare both teams because they are quite different, actually. 
mm-hmm. but those plays were young teams making mature plays on yeah. the road against a more mature team, and it just gave me that feeling that you know this team is for real. Yeah, that was that was the hammer. The hammer that Zion put down was the hammer and the nail of the coffin for their for their funeral. That was that was just it, it, that was it right there, man. And, and Zion was having such a bad game up until that point in the second half. First half was great, but second half, you know, he would say he was having a bad bad time, and and that was really his kind of a cathartic moment, I think, for him as well. Yeah, you know, Zion. In, it's funny that we talk about Zion having a poor game. He had 18 points, mm-hmm. five rebounds, five assists you know, three blocks, three steals, and, right. you know, he was quote-unquote taken out of the game. But really, the, the, the story of this one, I thought, was Duke, uh, R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and Trey Jones. I thought they played fantastic. I yeah. thought that, obviously, um, you know, Bolden, you know, started out fine. He didn't have his best game. But I thought Jack and Javin stepped in admirably in this one. They did. They provided some good minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, before we finish this one out, and we're not going to be as long on this segment, mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about that three-point shooting, because you, you mentioned that Kay alluded to it. You weren't buying what Kay was selling in the press mm-hmm. conference earlier in the week. But talk to you, is there anything in the three-point shooting that you've noticed uh, over our stretch where we've shot the ball well, and there have been stretches where it's at Notre Dame, uh, or obviously at UVA, that we've shown something in the game plan that makes us a better shoot three-point shooting team yeah could be quite honestly in the uva game summed it up for me now I, I was looking at it and I'm, I'm trying to figure out you know why why in this particular moment is this team hitting these shots it's like and why would k make that a part of the game plan if, if this is such a horrid shooting team because john shire says that this team is a good a great shooting team in practice you know what i mean everybody you hear that a lot but so you look at it and and the shots when they when they hit their shots they're hitting practice quote unquote practice shots shots where even if there's a defender nearby they're able to step into the shot RJ's kind of good about he he can he can hit that moving shot where he kind of takes that side dribble and takes a three up he, that's kind of his favorite three but Cam Cam's threes when he steps into his threes are he he's you know that's that's when Cam's at his best Alex some of those guys the same thing and. I kind of I was just wanted to look at it and watching the watching the video, kind of analyzing a little bit, and and you look at it and of the first five that Duke made, four out of that first five were within were prior to 15 seconds in the shot clock. So half the shot clock hadn't even winded down yet before they took a three, which this team normally does not do that. And it got me thinking a little bit. So I went back and wanted to look at some of the games where they didn't shoot so well, look at some of the games where they did shoot so shoot pretty well, and see if there was a little bit of a trend there. Uh, and two of the ones I really picked out were Syracuse and, and Notre Dame because they were two totally different results from similar game plans from the op- opposing team, which was zone this team and make them shoot from the outside. Clearly, Syracuse was a you know not a not a great game for Duke and, and a great example in terms of what this team normally can do on offense because you know Trey went out and they didn't have Cam, but the the fact still remains they took forty three threes and I looked at it and a majority of those threes were taken after the 15 second mark because they were passing the ball around moving. And then when they shot the ball, it was because somebody looks up and realizes somebody needs to shoot this ball soon. And, and I think that's what happened to us in that game. Whereas against Notre Dame, it was a part of the game plan to get it to the inside and, and get some shots, especially from Zion on the interior. But the threes that we take, they get kicked up from the out inside and you kick it right back to the outside quickly and get a nice shot out of it. And you get it early in the shot clock. And and that was that's what you saw in Notre Dame was the majority of the shots that we hit ten out of nineteen that game and and of those ten I'm, I'm gonna say at, I'm just off you know spitballing off the top of my head I think seven or eight of those came within came before that fifteen second mark so this team is is a rhythm team they're rhythm based and they're so efficient in in terms of getting the twos that the threes a lot of times are afterthoughts you're, you're getting you know Trey Jones occasionally popping a three or Jack White shooting a three late in the shot clock out of rhythm and and that that's different from what i think this team can do i think i think when they can when they need to shoot threes and they and they can get them in rhythm you saw it last night with louisville when when they shoot with no with with no fear and nothing to lose and early in the shot clock they go down and and that's what you saw in that comeback was a lot of early early threes early in the shot clock threes and i think moving forward i don't know we see that we see this team's percentage go way up or anything I, I could very easily see this team shooting 22 percent or 27 percent against nc state you know on saturday but 
I, I do think that when this team needs a three and, and needs something to stretch a lead out or to get a lead back, I, I think you'll see that as a part of the game plan to get an early early shot clock three. And, and I have no doubts and, and no fears that that shot's going to drop. Yep. And with RJ and Pam's confidence continuing to rise, you, you just kind of see Kay drawing up plays and, and whether he implements them now or not, mm-hmm. drawing up more and more plays as we go down, you know, toward tournament time for you know, those two guys specifically to get to get more looks earlier in the shot clock and then just kind of let Zion go to work on the glass because yep. he's really so efficient on the uh, offensive boards. But either way, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal win. Arguably uh, mm-hmm. our best win of the year considering. But, oh, you yeah. know, Duke is, 20, Duke is 22 and 2, mm-hmm. 10 and 1, all alone uh, in, in the top of the ACC. So, it was big from a number of standpoints. Uh, clearly, to, for this young team to get a, a top three win on the road, uh, to do it against a team that they were tied with at the top of the standings, to uh, you know separate yourself by a game from them, have obviously the two-game tiebreaker, to have the, the eyes-on favorite to get the top seed in both the ACC tournament plus in uh, the East region of the NCAA tournament. That's huge. It, it almost eliminates foreign disaster. It almost eliminates uh, UVA from getting that number one seed in the East. So yep. that was a huge, huge win. And then obviously to follow up with the dramatics that we had in the Louisville game on Tuesday night, it's time for us to focus on something else that we haven't had uh, time for yet, which is our second guest on the Five Point mm-hmm. Play podcast. We're bringing in your buddy, Adam Rowe, to talk a little bit of recruiting. And to be fair to our listeners, we did record this earlier uh, in the week, and we were still at work, so uh, a couple of us were in the car, and it's not going to have the same sound quality (laughs) as we normally do. Bear with us on that one. But we did want to bring you Adam Rowe from uh, 247 to talk a little Duke Hoops recruiting. Let's play. All right, so uh, we're pretty lucky right now for the Five Point Play podcast to have a recruiting guru, uh, Adam Rowe, and Adam, appreciate you joining. Yeah, debatable on the guru part, but I'm <laughs> glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks uh, for coming in with us, man. Absolutely. Uh, but we did want to talk to you about a lot of things that are happening for Duke basketball, but we can't ever forget uh, what's going on in recruiting, and it's starting to heat up a little bit. We'd love to hear your thoughts on a couple guys. Uh, obviously, Matthew Hurt, but also what's going to happen if uh, reclassifications happen both with Kessler and RJ Hampton. Yeah, I mean, as always, Duke's coaching staff has a lot of balls up in the air right now. Um, the main target left in the 2019 class is, is uh, you know, top 10 power forward Matthew Hurt. He can do a little bit away from the basket, but also play a little bit down low as well. Um, he's kind of that, you know, queen on the chessboard kind of guy that, that Coach K has always liked to have, that Jabari Parker. Um, Brandon Ingram. Coach K really loves his game. I think he would fit in really well with the class that they have now. You know, Boogie Ellis at combo guard, Wendell Moore small forward, and then uh, Vernon Carey as a, as a true big man um, who can do a little bit away from the basket too, but but he's the center in this class. But yeah, as you mentioned, you know, Kessler, Walker Kessler is a, he's a 2020 kid right now, but he's taking steps to potentially reclassify up to the 2019 class. Uh, still got some work to do in the classroom to make that happen. Um, and then you've got RJ Hampton, who's a combo guard, um, who's kind of doing a little bit of that work as well. Um, I think he's just got to take one more class in the summer, and he'd be eligible to reclassify. But um, I think in, in Hampton's case, they're, they're still waiting to figure out kind of what's going on with, with both with Trey Jones and with other guys at the colleges around the country that, that Hampton is considering. And then um, – Kessler, I mean, I think he's going to, as long as he can get the classwork done, I think he's going to reclassify. Just kind of a matter of when, not if with him. But, um, yeah, Duke needs help. They're going to yeah. lose. They're going to lose, uh, <laughs> if not three guys, then potentially four with Trey Jones um, right. at the end of this season. So they need some reinforcements for sure. With his With his style, his style of play, uh, maybe maybe give us just a little bit of what you know about Walker Kessler, but how do you think he fits with this incoming class and potentially the, the guys who may be staying in terms of, you know, Quise, you know, maybe he stays, maybe he goes, Jack and Javin coming in? 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting to see. I, you know, the coach is like both what he can do, you know, in the post and what he can do away from it as well. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's somewhat versatile for guys' size. He's six foot ten, you know, two twenty five. He can play a little bit away from the basket. I mean, he's he's not, you know, R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish by any means, mm-hmm. but um, he's got a little bit of range. He can handle the ball, but I I think he's more of a traditional, you know, big man kind of what they were looking for in Isaiah Stewart you know somebody like that who can come in and really make an impact in the post whether Bolden and Deloitte are there or not you know carry I think the 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 goal for him if they don't get hurt is for him to play a little bit farther away from the basket than maybe he would if they do get hurt but I think it looks it looks like Hurst going to Kansas right now for all intents and purposes so they're trying to weigh their other options okay it's basically you know what it seems like to me sure to me, the most interesting thing is all of a sudden R.J. Hampton being back on the table. You know, earlier in the season, we were thinking that R.J. Hampton had already said, I'm not going to reclassify, and we kind of felt like Duke was kind of off the table for a little bit of that time. Now, all of a sudden, the fact that Trey Jones is looking more and more likely to leave, or is there a potential that they could potentially come in and play together? I mean, I think that's on the table. I, I would be surprised if, if Hampton were to re, were to choose Duke if he were to reclassify if Trey Jones was back. But I, I think a lot. I think some of it has to do with what you said. You know, Trey is impressed, um, maybe a little bit quicker with his um, defensive abilities. He he still got you know issues shooting the ball, which I think are going to be you know that's that's going to be kind of his big negative that might make him return. For another season, but if he keeps playing like this, I mean, NBA teams are gonna are gonna be willing to take a chance on a guy like that and just, you know, work on his shooting once he gets to the league. You know, you saw Tyus play behind a couple guys, Ricky Rubio, and then a couple more guys in Minnesota, and now he's really starting to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Three years later, um, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, especially with the NBDL the way it's developing. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's the way a lot of these, you know, guys that are ranked like fifth to twentieth are going to be starting to. They're going to the NBA teams are going to start to look at those guys as like you know two way players like Gary Trent, you know, where he can play in the NBDL, get his confidence, and work on what he needs to work on, and then come up and play in the NBA. Yeah, no, I can see that. So with all these guys, with all these guys, got not all these guys reclassifying, but we have a, a fair amount of Duke targets. You know, maybe possibly looking to move up a class. What does uh, what does 2020 look like? Yeah, I mean, you still got the top guys that they that they've targeted in that class besides Hampton and, and Kessler. I mean, mm-hmm. you're looking at you know Jalen Johnson, who's top five small forward. Mm-hmm. Again, that Brandon Ingram, Jabari Parker kind of guy. Um, Brandon Boston, who's you know top ten shooting guard. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still looking at Jeremy Roach as, at point guard as well. Um, and then there's just kind of a lot of guys that they're looking at. I mean, I think a lot of it just depends on who's back, who's not. They're starting to dip their toes into some of the guys that are ranked a little bit lower, like Henry Coleman mm-hmm. um, from Virginia, who's, you know, ranked 65th. Um, uh, Jalen Suggs is a combo, another combo guard that they've been talking to for a long time. Scotty Barnes, right. I think they might start to pick things up with him a little bit. They've always got a lot of balls up in the air and just trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do. But they'll they'll laser focus on, you know, guys like Johnson, Hampton, Boston, Roach, Kessler in that 2020 class and then just try to build around them because they're going to need some longer-term guys once Delorier's gone, um, O'Connell, Jack White. All those guys are starting to graduate. You know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll start to graduate out of the program. They're going to need guys to replace them. Is there anybody on the radar that we might not, you know, know about right now for the casual Duke recruiting, you know, fans like myself? Is there anybody up there right now that we should keep an eye on in 2020? 2020, yeah. I mean, I think pretty much all those names that we just talked about are are mostly a. Um, there's a guy in the 2021 class, Cam Haynes, and um, Mark Max Christie. Um, that are considering reclassifying up. Um, Patrick Baldwin is another guy. He's the number one ranked player in the 2021 class. I've heard his, there's potential for him to reclassify up as well. So 
Um, but I, I think, you know, that, that, that core group of 2020 guys that, that we just talked about and that you've heard the names of, I, I think those are the main guys that they're targeting right now. Duke recruits a little bit different than a lot of programs. They take their time. They want to make sure they know these guys on and off the court. So that takes a little while to develop those relationships. Have you seen an impact on the trail and just an interview with some of these guys and, and talking with some of these guys? Have you seen, if not a shift, at least, you know, maybe maybe they're taking to John Shire a little more now that Capel's gone. What what have you kind of seen with that dynamic? Because I know this has been a hot topic for a lot of people. Jeff Capel leaving has really hurt hurt Duke's recruiting, but as we can see, they're still doing pretty good because they still have they have the greatest of all time coaching. So what what have you seen in terms of the assistants handling the rec- the recruiting jobs? Yeah, I mean, Shire's been a, a great recruiter since he started. You know, he's um. He took the lead on um, on Luke Kennard mm-hmm. um, somewhat before he even became an assistant coach. You know, when he was mm-hmm. when he was still a special assistant, he was able to recruit off campus and communicate, you know, via phone and stuff like, or on campus and communicate right. via phone off campus. Uh, so he played a big part in Kennard choosing Duke over his childhood favorite team, Kentucky. Um, I think that was an underrated get for Shire, um, and he's done mm-hmm. a great job. Staples gone. It definitely was an adjustment, but um, as you saw in the, the 2019 class, I mean, um, Chris Carrowell took the lead on both Wendell Moore and Boogie Ellis. Right. So, I mean, he made an instant impact on the recruiting trail. And then Nate James does a lot of like the um, the legwork up front, like the uh, advanced scouting of guys, younger guys, and develops relationships like those. And Shire comes in and closes sometimes, but uh, Coach K is always there. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think he's taken on a bigger role since since Capel has been gone. Seems like at least okay. off campus recruiting, where K might not have needed to go off campus before. Now he probably does a little bit. Right. More. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Nate James because he actually had a big hand in the Zion Williamson uh, recruitment, if I remember correctly. And I kind of want to I want to end I want to let you get out of here. Um, the last thing I was thinking about was. In the last decade, we've obviously had a number of one and done. You know, I, I always thinking about that. You know, Kyrie may do cool again. So yep. for me, he'll always be at the top. But then I also think about guys like Trey Jones, who you know was able to really. If the brotherhood thing kind of started there uh, with that class, with him, Big Ja, and Justice all being tight. You know, those three basically made a decision together to come in, and then you saw it again, this recruitment, uh, this current freshman class with Trey and Cam, and then, you know, bringing in RJ and Zion together. Uh, to me, you know, we've had a number of important guys. In your opinion, who's the most important one and done that we have had at Duke? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right with, with Kyrie's, you know, impact on the – the perception of the program on the recruiting trail, you know, he did a lot even after he was gone from Duke and you know, getting that, that mm-hmm. sneaker deal and everybody wanted to wear shoes and yep. Drew and all that stuff. I mean, he kind of made Duke basketball cool again. Um, but none of that would have really continued in my, you know, in my opinion, if the 2014 class hadn't have come in and won a national title, you know, and that, that made it, yeah you know, that made it so that Duke was successful with with um with one and done players. You know, I don't think you, you wouldn't have seen Brandon Ingram come in if they wouldn't have won that title maybe, you know. Um which Point. then parlayed itself into Harry Giles and mm-hmm. his best friend Jason Tatum, you know. I think they all they all kinda of have an impact on each other. You know, cascading level of impact, but I think it all really starts with Kyrie. Nice, nice. Well, thank you for coming on, Emma. Is there anything uh, anything you want to talk uh, talk about in, in terms of uh, of your website? You want to give the listeners, if they're not familiar with it, what what it is you do and what you're associated with? Yeah, come on, uh, check out thedevilsin.com. We got the largest Duke basketball and football fan site on the internet, and we uh, we love to you know interview prospects and recruits and write about the teams and. You know, have you guys come on the message board and, and join us for some really cool discussions? Yeah, absolutely. And devilsden.com, uh, for all our listeners out there, take a take a look. It's a it's it's a great board. Yeah, it's fun to be able to converse with Duke fans and everything. And Adam, thank you for, for taking your time out today out of your schedule to to talk with us.
Really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you to our second guest ever on the Five Point Play podcast, Adam Rowe. That was pretty sweet. Hope you guys got some great intel there. Now we're going to do another second for the, the podcast. He's actually going to bring back the mailbag. Let's play. The Five Point Play mm-hmm. podcast mailbag. We got uh, a few really good questions. Actually, the mailbag has a sponsor. Did you know that, EC? No, I, I did not. We, we, yeah, we have our first sponsor. It is sponsored by RJ Barris Funeral Home. Um, <laughs> there's uh, funeral services on the road. They come to you. They yep, come to you for this. Just make sure yeah. you wear black. Uh, absolutely. He, he'll wear black, you wear black, whatever it takes. Yep. Uh, let's get to the mailbag. Our first question is to look past this season. It seems like the guys coming in aren't what the freshman class is this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to need more out of our veterans. Are you confident in the returning guys to fill in the gaps? I don't think we see a team like this next year. This and and quite frankly, anywhere else in the NCAA, I don't think you see a team like this for the next a lot of years. Like this is this is this is a this is a team that you see once in a little while, and and they're going to prove that by the end of the year, I think. And it, it's it's fun to watch this team. So just enjoy it because next year the makeup is going to be totally different. Who yeah. knows what we're going to have at point guard? The team is going to run through the post again. It so it's it's just it's going to be a different squad. And, and I think they'll be able to build something for the next two to three years, quite honestly, because outside of Vernon Carey and I know Wendell Moore has some, has some aspirations to go one and done, but that, that remains to be seen. But I, I think this team with Boogie Ellis and a couple of the other guys they may bring in have a chance to stick around for a little bit. So I, I think it's a nice building block for for a really good team in, in in the next two to three years, maybe. But I think next year it'll be a good team, tournament team, of course. But you know, we'll, we'll see where they we'll kind of see where they sit. We'll, and there's still some pieces to add, so we'll see where they where they go after that. Yeah, I think to address the specific question, it's tough to predict what we're going to do mm-hmm. in terms of filling the gaps because we're not sure exactly what the gaps are going to be. Obviously, right. we know we're, we're losing the, the top three freshmen. Most least, likely yeah. going to lose Trey. Most likely going to lose Trey, mm-hmm. but he's going to be there as well. We don't know yet, you know, right. in terms of him either. But to to talk about you know the people that we know are coming back, um, right. Javin has to get much better. He has to get stronger. Correct. His hands have to get better. Jack White has to get the the mental block that is currently mm-hmm. um, just hovering over his game. He has to to return to the Jack of Canada. Return to the Jack of the first, you know. You know, half of the season. Yep. And Alex has to get stronger. He has to want it more, and, and yeah. he has to start looking for opportunities outside of you know wide open threes where he can make contributions. So, I guess what I'm saying is, if they have a really good summer, then they can step in admirably. Mm-hmm. Having said that, we're going to need um, you know something major to happen in terms of what those freshmen are going to give us. It's, obviously, it's not going to enjoy this year. Enjoy yeah. this year. We're not sure what's going to yeah, happen because it's year, still going to be the freshmen are still going to dominate right. the team, right? Like that's but that's it, the bottom is, line. No question. And you know we're going to be more of a shooting team next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, although at the stats that you showed me, maybe at the end of this year we're a shooting team. So, so who mm-hmm. knows? But it's definitely a good question and and one that we're certainly going to touch on after the season for yep. sure. Um, next question from the mailbag is: We know what we are good at. What are our weaknesses? And if we play our B plus game, will we be impossible to beat? That's a B plus game. B plus, no, we can be beaten with B plus. We probably saw B plus with Gonzaga and B plus with Gonzaga was like that second half. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the second half we, it was more of a C game, a C game. True, true. Overall, half. we weren't sure. And, and I thought Gonzaga played, you know, pretty well. To be fair to Gonzaga, they were missing a key piece, so it, it's tough to to kind of go off of that game. It, it is, it is, and it's it's B plus is like, and, and the question, what, so what's the, so then what is B plus for the team? Like that's, I guess that's the question. Really, is what what do we consider B plus? Because I, I I would I would give like Virginia, I would give that an A game. That was such a complete game. That was an A. Like that's we're not being beaten if we do that. So how far away is an A from a B plus, really? Like, so I, I guess if we're looking at at it like that, there's there's probably only one or two teams that could beat us with with an a, with a B plus type game, and that might that might only be Tennessee and and you know how Carolina comes out against Duke. Those might be the only two teams 
that that can really do that. Gonzaga lost Killian Tilly again, so I, I would love to see them again. By the way, but um, but yeah, no. At, at B plus, there's there's only a handful of teams that are going to beat us because we're so far ahead of the rest of the field. The top the top four teams in the nation right now are so far ahead of the rest of the field that it really is going to take some monumental efforts in the tournament for other from other teams to to unseat those guys. I think this is going to be a, a season where you see those top teams advancing to where they should and not seeing a bunch of early silly losses, quite honestly. Yeah, you actually kind of touched on the next question in the in the uh, mailbag, which is of the projected two seeds. So you already implied who we know the top four are, and I, mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. They're not going to put Carolina on a two seed in our line, so we can remove them. Of the projected two seeds, who would you most and least want to have in our bracket? Mm. The two seeds are they're like Michigan. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily want to see Kentucky again right away. Just I would I'd like to see that game more of a Final Four type game because I, I, we've beaten them once and we beat them so bad and they're so good right now that they're they're gonna come out with 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 the type of fire that you don't necessarily want to see early in the tournament at least. Like you can you can handle it as you move along and and kind of release some pressure, but that I don't want to see them in our bracket. I want to see them across the bracket meeting in, in a championship game final four scenario i don't want to see them in the elite eight michigan is the one right now i think i think michigan if, if as long as they're not feeling themselves too much uh i i think they're the team in in that two line right now that's that's pretty tough they're, they're like a they're like a one minus and they're not really a two they're like a one minus they're, they're a really good team they did take a, a bad loss um this past weekend but they're, they're such a good team they're, they're complete they have they play great defense and that's a team that's going to have a chip on their shoulder. They play with such a, such an un- unbelievable chip, and that's what it takes to to play with a team like Duke is a chip. You got to have a chip on your shoulder. So that's that right now. Out of, of the two seeds that they project at this moment, that's the one that that bothers me the most. I think you'll see a, a couple teams rise up to that two that that currently are not in the two seed. I think Marquette has a chance to rise up, and that's a team with um with Marcus Howard and the twins, the brothers that they have on the team, not twins, but their brothers. Um, that I think that team you might see them rise to a two because I don't think Michigan State's going to be able to sustain. They're 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 not good, and I, I haven't felt they've been good for a while. Kansas is not good right now, although they they had a nice win against TCU. There's a couple teams that could rise uh, rise up a little bit. I think from kind of from the three ranks into that two spot that you know Marquette would be a team. The other one of the other teams in the tournament that would really you know make me say, okay, this is an interesting game. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I think that I wouldn't be surprised to watch the committee put Marquette on the two line with Duke just to get mm-hmm. that Wojo versus Kane matchup. Yep. Uh, and, and to be fair, I mean, Marquette's a really good team and just had a big win over Nova. Um, getting mm-hmm. to our, our next question, moving off of, of this year for a little bit, this is an interesting question. It, it's, it's more of an off-season question, but I, I liked it. Yeah. Um, you're starting a team, and you have to make the choice between Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. would you choose? Man, they both they both give you the shooting. Like shooting's not a factor there. Luke Luke's sophomore season was just so good, and Grayson was great. Was he, he, had, he had he had great four years. His sophomore season was incredible. He was such a leader that year. And man, I I think I think Luke's efficiency. I think he was a little more efficient. He was he was more creative. On, in the mid range than Grayson was, they both can get to the basket, but that was more of Grayson's thing to get to the basket and kind of show his athleticism. Whereas Luke was, he was very methodical about how he would get shots, and and when he got them, they were you know they were great shots. I, I think I would take Luke honestly. I think I would. I think his 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 efficiency from through was a little better, and the way he gets to the interior and gets to that mid range, I like that a lot. But neither one of them played defense, so I'm not, I'm not really worried about that. So that that that's a selling point for me with Luke. Yeah, no, it's tough to to go against that argument. I am going to go with Grayson just because I have a soft spot in my heart for mm-hmm. that kid. That we know what Grayson can do that Luke couldn't though. Like Grayson can run the point a little bit at least. He could run the point, and he can also throw it down. Yeah, uh, but you know, I I think that they're both guys that and I'm just thinking about this year. Luke probably fits better just from his ability to to more consistently knock it down from deep, and he mm-hmm. can get real hot. Whereas Grayson probably needs the ball in his hands a little more. 
whereas Luke is like the, uh, the, the standstill shooter. But if yep. you're building the team, I'm going to take Grayson because he can do more things. Where you know, I'm not yep. sure exactly who else is on my team. Gracie is more versatile. I'm going to take him. And even though both are pitiful defensively, Gracie is at least uber athletic. Mm-hmm. And so I'd rather have, um, you know, I'd rather take him if, I'm, if I have to, to, to choose between either one of them. Yeah. Um, and this is a tough one for me. This is the last question in the mailbag. I appreciate everybody coming in and, and, and submitting their questions. Absolutely. Keep doing Keep it each coming. week. Um, but the last one is if you can go back and change anything from the 2016-2017, that's the Luke Kennard, Brinson Allen, Jason Tatum, Heron Giles class, what yep. would it be? She, there's so many different things, obviously, we know oh during that year that, that went well, or excuse me, that went wrong. Right. Um, what is one thing, if you could go back in time, anything that you would change about that year? I, I would I would bring healing hands to to Harry's knees so that he would oh, not man, have, have surgery prior to the season. That was it, man. That was regardless of not having a point guard or anything else. If we had a healthy Harry Giles, good lord, that team, yeah. we'd be talking about that team maybe in the same light that we talk about this team. Like yeah, he, I, he he would have held things together so well. I wish that I had that's that's the only answer that came to my mind is that if we could go back in time and you know, bring the healing hands as yeah. you said, the basketball guys healing hands to Harry Giles, you saw just the slightest glimmer of it in the mm-hmm. second half of the ACC tournament against UNC. Yep. Of what he is capable of. And I, I, I pray that he is able to do it whether it's uh, in Sacramento or, or anywhere mm-hmm. else in the league for a really long time. Because he, he really was special. He was that twist. He's so skilled, man. He, he's awesome. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think we're in agreement there. Uh, again, you know what? Be, if, if that's not a possibility, maybe keep Mar- Marquise healthy. Yeah, if, again. If, people, if Harry's not a possibility, we, keep Marquise healthy. Yeah, we touched, we touched on that in, in previous podcasts that, you know, Marquise was the starter before mm-hmm. – you know, he, he got hurt. So the injuries in that year were just yeah. detrimental. And, and Grayson's... And Grayson's transgressions. <laughs> There's so many things. Um, the chemistry. The chemistry Coach between K, Luke Coach and K Tatum. Going out. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, and, yeah. The Luke Tatum dynamic, that whole thing that happened. Like, like I, I wish we had a Debbie Jones there. You know what I mean? Like... I, I wish yeah, I, I wish we had that that element because there's just like you said, there's so many things, man. That team had so many issues with such a potentially great team. That was that was prior to this this recruiting class, that was the the latest, oh my god, this is kind of like the Fab Five greatest recruiting class ever type of thing. Like people have forgotten so quickly that they were referring to that recruiting class as the one of the greatest of all time. Yep. And you know, it would have been great for a wheelchair league. Uh, with all the injuries that we had, but um, yeah, no, it, it was tough. I mean, and then you know, if, if I could change anything else, and this is gonna sound pathetic and like I'm crying, but we got we got a horrible draw in that tournament. Um, yeah. I thought we should have been the, the the final number one seed. They gave it to Carolina, who we beat twice during that season. Yep. We, you know, had to go. Not only did we get the number two seed, we had to go to South Carolina, playing South Carolina in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And there were UNC fans still in the building from them having played earlier. Yep. And by the way, people forget, they should have lost that game. Yep. UNC should have lost that game, and they never would have even gone to the national championship. So yep. uh, it was just a perfect storm of shit during that time. So, um, you know, this is an off-season thing, but it was cool to actually touch on that. Yeah, see yeah. where our heads were. But uh, again, appreciate everybody uh, that submitted questions. If you want to submit a question, especially for hopefully a couple of our new listeners, go ahead and do it to our Gmail account. And that is five. That's the number five point play podcast at gmail.com. That's five, the number five point play podcast at gmail.com. And let's finish this one off with our last and final segment. We have a little surprise for you at the end here. Next play. It is our NC State game prediction. Yep. NC State game prediction, 6 mm-hmm. p.m. Saturday. AC, I know that they scored 24 points uh, at home <laughs> against your Virginia Tech Hokies, <laughs> and then somehow they quadrupled that and scored 96 in a loss uh, at Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. Which NC State are we getting? And does it even matter? 
uh, to answer the second question, it does not matter. After what the, the NC State had to look at that, if anybody other than Louisville had to look at the second half of that Louisville game and say crap, it was NC State, and strictly because they're coming into Durham with a team that is lathered up, and the fans are going to be insane for the for the six o'clock game. So they that was their oh shit moment, and it's a team that has had plenty of oh shit moments the past few weeks because they've been on a monumental slide. They they beat uh, Syracuse tonight, but you know that's not saying a lot, quite honestly, in my opinion. So Duke a lot, NC State a little. I'm gonna Duke. I'm, I'm Duke ninety two, NC State sixty eight. Like they're they're going to get crushed. It is what it is. Sorry, sorry, Pack Wolfpack. It is yeah, what it is, man. I, yeah, I'm not I'm not sorry to Wolfpack. I don't like the Wolfpack. <laughs> uh, actually, being being real. Yeah, I think they get smoked. Um, I think that after what we did in the last nine minutes and 13 seconds to Louisville and put everybody else, if they weren't already on notice, everybody had all their uh, funeral funeral notes for, for Duke season mm-hmm. uh, written and, and prepared. And, and I wasn't prepared for this podcast because I was already preparing my uh, obituaries <laughs> for, for what this is going to be. But not not anymore. They fooled everybody. They mm-hmm. uh, are going to come out uh, in front of their home crowd that won't quit on them. And I'm going high. I'm going 97 to 59. I think they absolutely blow them out. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, oh my God. Yeah, we're gonna. It's gonna be a bloodbath, and uh, I hope everybody enjoys it. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be a bloodbath. It's gonna be yeah. an absolute slaughter. Um, so there we said it, but the surprise at the end of this podcast is AC, what are we doing before the UNC game? We are going to give them another podcast firing yep. up this weekend Absolutely. after the NC State game. That's the big game that we have circled on our calendar. Tell them what to look forward to in the UNC podcast. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bring bring you guys a, a special special UNC podcast. That's what we're only doing one prediction. It's gonna be UNC content and Duke UNC content only. We're gonna re- recall some of our favorite Duke UNC moments, uh, some of our favorite wins, losses, you know, everything. Predictions for the game, break down UNC a little bit. Just you know, obviously we we know the team. Duke fans know who UNC has. Know that know that enemy. So we're just it's gonna be a, a fun fun hate filled podcast <laughs> towards the heels. Yeah, I can't we'll, wait. We'll, I can't we'll, wait, man. I'm excited. We'll have the brown liquor rolling just in, oh, case, yeah. there's not, just in case there's not enough hate. We'll make sure that that's going on. Uh, but we appreciate uh, you guys tuning in. Hopefully we have some new listeners this week. Go to Hell Carolina. Go to, Go to hell. hell Carolina. Go Duke. Go Duke. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Five Point Play Podcast.